All right. Hello, Covenant College. Welcome back from spring break. The countdown has begun. It's my privilege to be here with you today and to spend a few minutes thinking about this question, why am I still a Christian? Um, But in order to explain to you why I am still a Christian, it seems relevant to me that I first need to answer the question, why am I a Christian in the first place? Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time here because that wasn't the prompt that I was given, but it does seem as though it's a natural starting place to think about why I'm a Christian in the first place. So, some general realities that perhaps seem really obvious and in that regard sometimes ubiquitous, um, but I still think are worth being stated uh, because they make a profound difference in the reason uh, that I am a Christian today. So, first off, maybe. Why am I a Christian in the first place? Well, because of my family. Secondly, because of the country that I was born in. And thirdly, because of the time frame in which I was born. These seem pretty obvious, but any one of these things, if they were altered, would make a profound difference in who I am today. The influence of Christianity in my life was significantly impacted by the time period into which I was born, my country of origin, and the specific family that I was given. And I'm aware that I had no choice in any of these decisions. I had no influence over being born in the United States or within this specific time period. I had no choice in the matter of which family I would be given. However, I was born in the United States in the 20th century, and into a Christian family, and all of that matters. I was firmly planted in fertile soil, and I was born into a believing family. Check out these people. We pretty much all had an afro. I came from a family of believers, a long line of, fam- of believers on both sides of my family. They taught me about the Lord from my earliest years. Additionally, I grew up in a gospel-centered church. I attended Christian schools. That very likely would not have been the case had I been born in a different time period or in a different country. Additionally, I was nurtured by this very place, as you've already heard. I'm a graduate of Covenant. There is my senior picture. Do I look like anybody else you know? It's amazing uh, when we look back at younger pictures how much Hannah and I look alike. Uh, it's, it's less and less these days, but in our, at, at the same time period, we looked a lot alike. The influence of Covenant College on my life was massive. It was here that so much of what I had been taught my entire life began to coalesce as I began to understand the way that biblical truth is woven into all of life. It was here that I began to contemplate a profession and to see how the role of teacher has an opportunity to be about the work of reconciliation. 
As a student at Covenant, I worked really hard, but there were also lots of times of laughter and enjoyment of the people in my midst. This is Rudy Schmidt. He is one of the founders of Covenant College, and he was like a surrogate grandfather to me because he was also the founder of the church I grew up in. He's the reason I lived in Schmidt Hall when I was here as a student. He was very fond, yeah, go balcony. He was very fond of this verse in Psalms. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Or as the New English translation says it, it is as if I've been given fertile fields and received a beautiful tract of land. And I say to that, amen and amen. I can claim, along with the psalmist David, that for me, the boundary lines have been drawn in pleasant places. He has indeed given me fertile fields. He is the one that determined when and where and to whom I would be born. He is the one who established me and nurtured me in my faith from the earliest days. And he has guided me all the days of my life. However, lest you think that I wear rose-colored glasses, I'm not so naive as to only see the happy side of life. I, along with each and every one of you, have seen the hardships of this world. The last few years have been really uh, good examples of this in our life. The pandemic presented a new challenge that most of us couldn't have even imagined before. I mean, I had no frame of reference for what the spring of 2020 would bring and the year that would follow. The major shift in the way that we would lead life. The massive interruption began to highlight areas that had perhaps gone quietly unnoticed before. In addition to the confusion and anxiety over what in the world might happen next, many of us experienced loneliness like never before. We were separated from our friends and family. We were forced to contemplate our existence in this new reality. For some, a deep sense of dissatisfaction with life grew during these months and years, and we began to ask questions about how we might make changes for our future. And for many of us, a deep fear crept in and threatened to stay. We also live in a world that is plagued by social ills. Racism and poverty trouble my soul. Just in the last few years, we've seen persistent racism in our country that was played out before our very eyes as we watched on our screens. Poverty continues to plague many in our country. And for me, this example is easily seen as we look at schools, the disparity in the education that is offered based on your socioeconomic status is impossible to ignore. Ask some of your friends in the education department who have had an opportunity to intern in schools, even just in the local area. How is it that in the 21st century, 
A person's opportunity to quality education is still dependent on our socioeconomic status. Additionally, the sin and brokenness that plagues my own family saddens me. When my loved ones are distressed and hurt, when in the confines of our own home we shed tears over quiet conversations, grieving the difficulties that life brings, oh, how in these painful moments I'm reminded that we live in a broken world. This is not the way it's meant to be. And I, along with all of creation, groan. And I cry out, why, Lord? Sometimes I feel like that stubborn two-year-old who falls on the floor in a full-out hissy fit, beating my fists and kicking my feet, wanting to pound my fists against God's chest and say, why, Lord? What is your purpose in all of this? So why then, given all of that, why am I still a Christian? Well, there's three things I want to talk to you about today, reasons why I am still a Christian. The first is, I'm changing. The second, you. And the third, general revelation. So first, I am changing. Certainly, whoop, certainly I am growing physically. Um, my body continues to change, both with age and with stages of life. Cognitively, I'm, I'm growing. I've had the opportunity to learn a lot of new things, and I continue to learn things every day. As a matter of fact, the more I learn, the more I realize there is to be learned. But what I want to talk to you today about is the way in which I'm growing spiritually. It's perhaps relevant that I tell you I am change-averse, and I'm extremely stubborn. You can ask my children. They'll be all too happy to confirm that statement is true. <laughs> I can dig my heels in like no other. So I can assure you, that change is not because of me, but is because the Lord has not left me alone. He continues to work in my life, and he's changing me to look more and more like Jesus. This isn't work I could do on my own, and I assure you that even if I could, I wouldn't be likely to be willing to put myself through what it would take. But the Holy Spirit is intervening in my life. I'm not much of a journaler, though I wish sometimes that I had acquired that skill so that I could look back over what I had written with more concrete examples of the way in which I have been changed. But I am a fairly reflective person, and I do periodically take that metaphoric glance backwards and look at how the hand of God has guided me. Though I have much room for improvement, he has taught me many valuable lessons, and the hardness of my sinful heart has shifted. Here are a few examples. A few years ago, I went through a season where I found myself rather anxious and fearful, 
And as a result, I began to go through the Psalms and the Proverbs and writing out a list of the ways in the, the promises that, the, that God has for us. So my list was something like, he's my father, my shield, sustainer, deliverer, refuge, rock, stronghold, fortress, my salvation, my redeemer, my light, my hiding place. And I would frequently rehearse this list to myself, often in the dark hours of the night when I had trouble sleeping. And as a result, I was changed. Over time, as I hid these words in my heart, I found a peace that passes understanding. More recently, I've spent some time reflecting on the concept of authority. Certainly, this required me to grasp the fact that I am under the authority of my Heavenly Father, and as such, there are massive implications. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. And I am bound to his will. I give up myself for him. What a difficult concept. This also means that I'm bound to earthly authority. God has placed leaders over me, and I am to honor the position of authority in my life. And as I reflected on these truths, I was changed. My desires changed. I became more willing to submit to the authority of God and others in my life. If you visit my office today, you'll still see in bold print the word authority taped right beside my desk because I'm still changing and I still need that reminder. The good news is that the Lord is working on me and I have evidence that he changes me. I am like that tree in the Psalms that is firmly planted by streams of water. I am nourished by fertile soil, and I'm growing, I'm producing fruit. My second reason is you. What a blessing it is to journey through this life alongside you, my friends, my students. The impact you have on my life on a daily basis is incalculable. As you share your lives with me, both the joys and the sorrows, as you describe the Lord's goodness in your story, I'm encouraged and I'm spurred on in the faith. It's a privilege to walk alongside you in the classroom. My mind is changed because of you. I grow as a result of your careful and deep thinking. And it's an honor to be the keeper of your stories, the stories in your life that you share with me around the table in the great hall or a long chat in my office. The opportunity to know how the Lord is changing you, to journey with you through times of celebration, but also to walk alongside you through difficulties and struggles to see your prayers answered, and to know that the Lord is working. I am profoundly blessed by the Imago Day that is reflected in each and every one of your lives. Each of you are unique, handcrafted masterpieces. You resemble our Heavenly Father 
as you act in this world, as you create, when you are merciful and loving and faithful. And the amazingly beautiful thing that, about encountering the image of God is that it allows me to in some way know him better. I see him in you. It is one of the reasons that I crave diversity as different people across this globe all reflect the image of God. It's a testimony to how big he is. I need you to know my father better. I need more images that reflect his character so that I can have a better grasp on who he is. And as you bear this image through the living of your lives, I'm encouraged to do the same. Certainly, I could go anywhere around this globe and be surrounded by people who bear the image of God. But here is yet another example of how the Lord has drawn the boundary lines for me in pleasant places. It is here at Covenant College that he has drawn that boundary line in my life. He has chosen that it is this place that will mark a significant boundary in my life. And I again declare with the psalmist that for me, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being your genuine self, for being willing to share yourself with me. My third reason, general revelation. As some of you know, I had an opportunity this fall to take a trek. For those of you who haven't heard my story, I had the opportunity to do a six-day trek to Everest Base Camp with five other women. It was definitely a bucket list kind of trip. And there are all kinds of stories that I could tell you about it. But that's not really what I want to spend my time talking about today. I, I did, though. I know you're not supposed to have your phones out. Chaplain Lowe, maybe we'll give you a five-second reprieve. I do have a QR code for you, <laughs> along with a bit.ly. If you're interested in more stories, uh, one of the ladies that trekked with us did a seven-series uh, YouTube series on our trek. And so you can follow along and watch uh, as, we, as we made the trek up to, up to base camp. But the main reason that I want to uh, talk to you about my trip to base camp today is to help you to understand the ways in which God's general revelation has impacted my decision to still be a Christian today. For one thing, base camp provided me with an opportunity to feel really small in the world. It's a feeling that's similar to standing at the edge of the ocean and looking at the vast expanse, or standing in the bottom of the Grand Canyon and looking up. All of a sudden, I'm aware that I'm a tiny speck in this universe. My problems quickly are put into perspective. God is balancing all of creation, all of time and space. 
And if he can do that, he can certainly handle my challenges. Being in the Himalayan mountains was the perfect opportunity to experience my smallness. I was in awe as we stood at 17,500 feet and all around us soared peaks that were yet another 12,000 feet. The vastness of God's creation helps me to recognize what a big God we serve. Additionally, being in the mountains for six days provided me with an opportunity for a quietness and a stillness that is hard to find in today's fast-paced world. From the moment we began our trek, things got real simple. We did not see a motorized vehicle the entire time we were there. No bicycles, no carts drawn by yak. Wheels don't work in the Himalayan mountains. The terrain is way too rough. And so everyone is traveling by foot. And walking is inherently slow. It was quiet. There were no sounds of traffic. There was no television or any of the other things that are, we're so accustomed to being distracted by. We didn't even have cell service. We went dark for six days. My family was left following along to the ping of my friend's Garmin, which periodically moved and helped them to feel satisfied that I was all right. The simple and slowness gave me lots of time for introspection. However, in the midst of that quietness, there was a noise that reverberated in my head. The creation around me was screaming. It was singing at the top of its lungs. Can you hear it? As Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glories of God. The sky displays his handiwork. We're familiar with the story in Luke where Jesus tells the crowd that if the disciples keep silent, the rocks will cry out. And I can tell you that especially above the tree line where nothing grows and about the only thing that exists are rocks, they are screaming. They're crying out, declaring the majesty of God. I find God's general revelation to be extremely convincing. Even as I walk around this campus with its beautiful views and frequent sunsets, creation is crying out. It's preaching to me. It's reminding me of God's word. But especially when you're standing in the Himalayan mountains, in that stillness, surrounded by the vastness, I am persuaded that God does exist and that he is a powerful creator. I would like to tell you today that I've overcome my struggles with sin and doubt. But our biblical framework helps us to understand the absurdity of such a claim. In the moment that we stand in right now in the biblical narrative, though sin is still present, redemption is also our reality. Therefore, we continue to live in this paradox between sin and grace 
Jesus is even now making all of the horrible things of this world untrue, and that work will see its fulfillment in the consummation. But unfortunately, even with my great reasons for still being a Christian, they're not compelling enough to keep me from doubting the goodness of God. However, I am like that father in the book of Mark who pleads with Jesus on behalf of his son, I believe, help my unbelief. And so I find myself in constant need of encouragement. One of my most recent attempts to be faithful to the Lord is through scripture memorization. My friends have challenged me to pursue this method in order to hide God's word in my heart. And so as we together memorize scripture, uh, there are some things that this task of memorization sort of uh, highlight for me. As I chunk a verse into individual sections so that I might memorize it, I consider and reconsider the verse and what it is teaching me. I have found this verse to be particularly helpful in the last few months. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a nice sounding verse, one that we might hear at the end of a sermon, one that I often pass over with very little consideration. But let me point out a few things that I've noticed as I've memorized this verse. Initially, I was focused on what it was I was to be filled with, joy and peace. Sounds nice. Those are desirable things, especially in a world that often does not feel peaceful and therefore not joyful. But then I noticed that joy and peace are not the end goal. Hope is the end goal. It's that we may overflow with hope. That's the goal. And as I thought about the word hope, at first it felt very sort of hallmarkish, kind of like cross your fingers and hope. But that's not it at all. Our hope is in the end of the story. It's in the consummation. It's knowing that the Lord will be victorious. He will redeem all things. That's what my hope is in. It's not that I will be happy today, but that despite the hard things that I have to deal with today, he will win in the end, and therefore I can be peaceful and joyful. I was also struck, as I memorized this verse, who was doing the work? Not me the God of hope. That's who's doing the work, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is really good news. He is the one filling me by his power as I trust in him. I can be filled with joy and peace that will cause me to overflow with hope. And it is through his power 
and not my own. I would like to encourage you today to participate along with me in holding on to this hope. Remind yourself why you're a Christian in the first place and why you are still a Christian today. Hold on to the promise that God will be victorious. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you today with praise upon our lips because you are a God that is worthy to be praised. Thank you for the many ways in which you have blessed our lives, the ways in which you work that are often ubiquitous and unseen. Father, I'm so grateful that you have planted me in fertile soil and that you have drawn the boundary lines for me at Covenant College. Thank you for the ways in which you bless me continually by this student body. Father, I ask that you would give them joy and peace as they trust in you, that they might overflow with hope. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.